So it's Dave Papavisi and Eric Gilmore talking about First John chapter 2. Uh, by way of reminder, we touched the first chapter already. I'll put a link up so you can watch it if you want to. But the whole premise of the first chapter, as we know, is fellowship with God. He is concerned about them walking in the light. He says our fellowship is with God and Jesus Christ, his son. This fellowship is, he says, the reason why he's writing them, so that they too will have the same fellowship that he has. And right after this whole emphasis on fellowship and how it plays out in life, we start chapter 2. And he says, my little children, I write these things so that you may not sin. Which shows me, first off, that sin is powerless in fellowship with God. He's telling them of fellowship with God as the means for not sinning. Uh, it's interesting, too, to note that when he says, my little children, I read this in a commentary, that this is the exact word Jesus uses in John thirteen thirty three, where he calls the disciples his little children. It's almost as if John is taking the same, I don't know, heart that Jesus had for him, and he's applying it to these that, were, that are following him. So, uh, Dave, off the top, we see sin and fellowship are mutually exclusive. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In his presence, <laughs> in his presence, there is light and life. And uh, yeah, I think he goes on to explain a little bit more uh, in the chapter, what that looks like and what that, you know, even practically speaking, what, what that looks like says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how can he say in chapter 1 that if you walk in the light, you know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And then he says, but if you walk in darkness, which is living in sin. But then he says here to those who are supposedly walking in light, he says, if anyone sins, is it is it possible for believers to sin? Yeah, it's 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 possible for believers to sin. I mean, he goes on to say in verse 10 of chapter 1, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's speaking to believers. And so salvation salvation is is like a one of these big biblical words and terms and realities and 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 so we have been saved. We have been saved from sin. And the effects of sin. We we are being saved. So we have been saved that one day when we repented, placed all of our trust in Jesus, we are being saved. This life is an experience of being saved from this world system from sin. And we will one day be fully saved with glorified bodies, no longer subject to decay or sin and death in any way, shape, and form. And so we're righteous by the blood of Jesus, but we're, we enter into a process of being made holy. They're both true. You are holy or made righteous. We stand before God with confidence, pronounced righteous before the Father because of the Son as children of God. But at the same time, we are now being shaped and formed by the Spirit of God, where he's removing mixture from the inside of us. And that's the process of sanctification. So, yes, yeah, certainly a believer can sin because a believer still has uh, choice. You know, will he surrender his will? Will he or she surrender his will in any given moment to the Lord? But 
he goes on to say here, of course, that as we, as you know, who was it? Was it Spurgeon who said, uh, the, the longer we walk with God, the less that we should sin, you know, like, uh, we should look more and more like Jesus every passing year of our lives. Mm, that's good. So he, he calls Christ here an advocate. I once heard Dane Ortland, who I've just recently come in contact with, and I really enjoy his stuff. He talked about the difference between intercessor and advocate. He said intercessor is the ongoing representation in the heavenlies on our behalf. He is the priest of all priests, the Melchizedek priest. He is the representative. But then advocate is an individual situation. So in a point in which failure has come in, he then stands as the advocate for us, not trying to plead our innocence because the guilty, you're guilty. He is showing his innocence on our behalf. So the advocate shows his innocence on our behalf when we confide in the person of Jesus Christ. So would you say that advocate has been, this understanding of advocate has played a role in your personal life? Yeah, certainly. I mean, when I think of the term advocate and I haven't looked at like the original language in, you know, all the different implications there as far as the definition is concerned. But of course, I think of like, like the picture of what like a lawyer would be uh, on our behalf. And so, you know, certainly there's a confidence that I have before the father because of the blood of Jesus. Um, And so, yeah, when I think of Jesus, the intercessor, and I think the great high priest really shows both sides of advocate and intercessor. But when I think of Jesus as the intercessor, I think of the, of, of his ongoing prayers for me. And when I think of Jesus, the advocate, I think of him pointing to what he's done, Mm. you know, the event of the cross. And so there's the, what he's done in history. And then there's the, the, the constant intercession before the throne, which is so humbling and moving that it should move us all to, to, to live lives that are increasingly more holy. Mm, I agree. So he says, uh, he calls him Jesus Christ of the righteous. Oh, I love that. He is just perfection. You know, I was thinking today, you know, even if we are doing really well in our lives and we haven't, you know, fallen in different areas or we've kept our mouth clean or we've even been keeping our thoughts clean, even then when we think we're doing really good, we still are not doing really good when it comes to Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, if you pin yourself next to the perfections of Jesus, you still fail miserably. It's, there isn't a, a way for a man to bring his righteousness at, up next to Christ and say, I'm almost next to Jesus. You know, it's ridiculous because he is perfection. Sure. Always has been, always will be. And, and that in and of itself as him, the righteous one, just shows the confidence we have if he's the one representing us, that even in the midst of failure and even the failures, you don't even realize we're failures. Stuff that is dirt on the inside of you, like it says in the first chapter, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm sure there are things that are going on on the inside of us. We don't even realize how evil they are sometimes. I think God kind of protects us from seeing all of our evil at once because we would be overwhelmed, you know? So it's like he, little by little, he shows us these things and he walks with us and is committed to us. But to think that Jesus Christ 
the perfect one is the one representing us, gives us all the confidence in the world that we can be made clean. We can be made pure because it's done by somebody who deserves to, who deserves, you know, God's approval. Right. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, beautifully put. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that it's easy to get, it's easy for us to slip into like a self-confidence and, and forget that we must pin our confidence on the blood of Jesus. And the truth of the matter is when we are in, you know, Jesus came to give light to all men, but when we live by the, the light of our own candle wick, so to speak, it's easy to feel confident when we measure ourselves up to another and, and we have very limited insight, you know, on, on the other person's life. You know, we based usually the way it works is that we base our intentions up against their actions. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, we, we think like, well, in my heart, this is what I intend to live like God knows my heart. But then I look at him like, well, this is what he did. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, but it's, yeah, I'm reminded also by a story by, uh, of Smith Wigglesworth where he was seeking the Lord and it was like a, some kind of a, an assembly of leaders and pastors and, and, and different men of God were pastors and leaders were praying with him in this room and uh, one and the light of God started to come into the room. The presence of, of holiness, Jesus Christ, the righteous, started to increase and become so tangible in the room that one by one, they left unable to bear under the light of God. Yeah. Like you mentioned, there's so much going on at any given moment in our hearts, the selfishness and the, and the self issues of life. You know what I mean? It's, it's those self-rooted things that we're blind to often that are not, they're not you know, you can't just point to it. Oh, there goes, you know, the action. Certainly there's an action or reaction, but often it's the deep seated things in our hearts and our minds. And uh, so they all left one by one. And one of the last ones was like holding on to like a pillar, like just like holding on, like I want to stay here, you know, and, but ultimately had to leave what Wigglesworth was just sitting there, you know, just, <laughs> and, you know, enjoying the Lord. But again, it's, it's that same, it's that same, uh, point there it's the light of god comes and reveals to us our hearts and and we we recognize in those moments if he was not our advocate yeah and if it wasn't if it if, if we don't place our ultimate hope in his blood we have no hope yes yeah everything upon jesus everything upon him i remember john wesley said abandon everything that is not faith in the merit of jesus christ and yielding to his spirit to me that's the summary of the of the whole Christian life. But he says he himself is the propitiation. Will you define that word for, for the people that don't know? He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Yeah. I mean, I've always understood it as like the payment for, but I know the word is much deeper than that. I, I know the word goes much, much deeper than that, but it's, it's, it's payment on behalf of, I'm not sure if you had uh, an opportunity to look up the, anything in the original language concerning the word. No, I, I didn't, but I've heard it said as substitution, substitution. He, he got what I deserved so that I could get what he deserved. Uh, just recently, a friend of ours actually put out a video and it got a lot of problem. A lot of people came at him for it. He said that Jesus became uh, a God hater on the cross. Jesus became a homosexual. Jesus became a, uh, uh, a pedophile on the cross. And he got a lot of flack for it. And I think that what he meant to say is that the penalty due 
to a pedophile, the penalty due to a hater of God, the penalty due to the homosexual, the lawbreaker, Jesus took on himself. And when the scripture tells us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that it wasn't that Jesus became those things in and of himself, but that sure, yeah. he took upon himself what, what they did. And I think that's that's where the danger is. If we say that Jesus became those things specifically on the cross, then the, the, the sacrifice is nullified then because it had to be a perfect person. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, he was in no way, shape or form tainted by the desire for it, any of those things. But yeah, he, he bore the brunt of the full wrath of God for every sin, for all those things that you mentioned, multiplied by every human being that ever lived and, you know, will live. Yeah. So yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Propitiation. So, uh, by this, we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, have you seen in your life that the more you know God, I think you even just mentioned Spurgeon said, the longer we know God, the longer we walk with God, the more we will become like him. Have you found that obedience to God's commands just begins to issue out of you? The more you come to know him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both. I think number one, the, and, and he goes on to say, actually, he's going to devote a whole little section here to knowing God uh, and, and, and the progression and growth of, of our intimate acquaintance with God later on in 12 through 14. But uh, I think t- to me, what's important is, especially in our generation, is, is looking at what it means to love. What does it look like to love? Because that's what Jesus talks about in the gospel of John. That's what John's recording. Mm-hmm. He, he's saying, you know, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so when we get born again, part of what needs to happen is we're confronted with truth and the spirit of God begins to work out of our hearts. Uh, lies concerning what we've believed about the gospel, about the Lord himself. And he fills our hearts with his love and with his spirit. And um, when love becomes a primarily a self-gratifying issue, then obedience doesn't necessarily spill out. Mm. But when, when love is a God-exalting, uh, God-glorifying, moved by a deep desire to be fascinated with him and enjoy him, uh, then I think obedience becomes an, an, a natural outworking of, of that. So it's the fruit of love. That's why it's the proof of love. It's, the, it's the fruit of, right. It's the fruit of what biblical love is. Yeah. Uh, and in a society like today where it's so twisted, the definition of love, uh, I think it's important to, to talk about what does that look like? And he actually goes on in this chapter to talk about some of those things. Yeah. So love could you would you say that love is uh, the giving up of oneself for the other? I'm using it just because of like I think I'm married. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, that's a yeah. So I love my wife, and I express that desirable love for her by wanting to please her. What what do you what do you want? I want your will to be met over mine, and so I give up myself to give you that thing which pleases you that's my delight to do that i mean jesus delighted to do his father's will because he ultimately loved his father and i think that in and of itself shows that the giving up of ourselves which is the hardest thing 
And the most contrary thing to the modern thought of love, that I give myself up? How does that, that benefit me whatsoever? That's the highest benefit that we, you and I know, is we've given up our wills to God. And in right. giving up our wills to God, we found that He is the most fulfilling and satisfying thing. And the more we let go of ourselves, the more of Him we experience and realize He's the fulfillment of all desire. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it. And the the result is, or what that looks like is obedience because you're wanting to give him what he desires, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's important to... Yeah, to make that distinction. To, to make that distinction, right. Okay, so the, the especially, one... Especially in our generation where I think love is really... Love, we use the term love in our generation. When I say our generation, I mean generally today in the world. And really what most people mean is lust. Yeah. What most people mean is like, uh, I celebrate you. I choose you because you give me the kind of immediate gratification that I want. It's, yeah. I, I set the parameters for that. I set the parameters for and the, de the definition for how I want to be pleased. And because you're giving that to me right now in a way that I want, I love you, whatever yeah. that is, you know what I mean? To the guy, to the girl, to the thing, to the whatever object. Um, but yeah, the way you, the way you shared it, that is true love. Yeah. I remember a story of, of an old sage and a little boy, he's fishing and the little boy says to the sage, um, he says, I love fish. And the sage looks at the boy and he says, you love fish? How, how do I know that you love fish? Then he says, because I catch them and I eat them. And then he says, you don't, you don't love fish. You love what the fish do for you. You love what you get from the fish. And he says, that's not love. He says, love is what can you give to the fish? And, and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I know it's a, it's, a, it's a bad story, but it just shows that. No, no, no. It's a great, it's a great illustration. The, the self-servingness of what the self-life longs for, gratification by what it wants and not realizing the highest gratification is giving up what it wants to find yeah. in him everything. So the one who says, I have come to know him, man, which is showing us that he's, there's people there that are proclaiming or professing to actually know him. The one who says, I know him. How often have you seen this in your life? Somebody says that they know God. He says, and does not keep his commandments. He's a liar. In other words, that person who says, I have a relationship with God. I'm intimate with the Lord. I pray. I fast. I pray in tongues. You say you have a relationship with God, but you haven't yet given up your will for his will. That's what obedience is. That you don't know him, he's saying, right? And then he says, right. he, a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love for God or love of God has truly been perfected talk to me yeah so it's interesting because you know jesus gives very clear commands and one of which he's going to highlight here specifically in the next couple of verses he gives very clear commands and it's in number one the subjection of our hearts to him but then it's in the obedience of the things that he said that we allow we make room and space for his love to be perfected in us mm. and so he did he it's the picture there is that if, if the love is being perfected, it means that it's possible that we have the love of God in our hearts to a degree, but it hasn't yet taken up mm. all of our hearts. It's like almost a picture of like the promised land with Israel. 
God had given Israel, you know, particular parameters, you know, he had given them, you know, boundaries from this, you know, spot to this spot. All of this has been promised to you. But we've seen Israel's history, you know, in the Old Testament and how time and time again, they would fail and, and then they would gain ground, but then they would lose ground. They would gain ground. And the issue there was uh, the promise of God was, had never come to, to, to fulfillment mm-hmm. in, in their experience in the Old Testament because there was still mixture. There were still things on the inside of their hearts that they did not subject uh, to, the, to the will of God, to the rule of God. And so that's how I feel like it's in obeying his commandments that we make room for God's spirit to allow the love of God to be perfected on the inside of us to where the mixture gets burned away. Uh, I totally agree. And I think when you say obeying his commandments, underline, we mean specifically what John is referring to as the commandments, the new commandment, which is actually an old one, which is that you give up yourself for another, which is actually the fulfillment of all the law in one one thing, to love the Lord with all your heart that enables you to love your neighbor as yourself. Not, you weren't saying, you know, obeying the Ten Commandments, it proves, you know what I mean? Like, because then, then we'd be backwards. We'd be, we'd be trying to get to God instead of the recognition of what God does in us, correct? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And even with the Ten Commandments, I mean, the Ten Commandments were given to them after they were saved. I mean, they were, they were saved from Egypt by just putting the blood on the doorposts and eating the lamb. <laughs> it wasn't until they were saved and went through the waters and they made a marriage covenant with God, a covenant with God in a, in a bridal way, really, if we want to look at Old Testament analogies, that they encountered God in his holiness. And then he gave them instructions. Cause really even that word commandment in the old Testament is, is like divine instruction on how to live now that you have come into this covenant. <laughs> and so certainly there's, there's, you know, overlap for what those commandments look like in our lives, but it's beautiful how John has a way of simplifying things, right? I mean, it's even in his gospel, it's seven miracles, you know, Mark goes from miracle to miracle to miracle, you know, and and then John is like, let's just take these seven and look at him, you know? And so he picks one that we'll look at here shortly, loving your brother as a litmus test of all the others, (laughs) right? And it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, very foundational and simple command, but reveals our actual knowledge of God and our actual love for him. Right. And so, so yeah, that's what certainly this, this could be applied to all of Christ's commandments, but at a base level, if, if this is, if we're not able to walk this out, you know what I mean? Like it's, that's what he's kind of touching on here. So he says, by this, we know that we are in, in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I mean, if you just even think about how Jesus lived his life completely selfless, self-sacrificing, the giving of himself to his father's purposes and for others, then we see that the loss of self, the giving up of self is the essence of Christ-likeness that comes from abiding 
in Christ because he says in him abiding in him so you have we know that we are in him and the one who says he abides in him so it's the vine and branch again as we cling to the person of the Lord and his presence in our lives that this is what begins to happen as the evidence that you're clinging to the life source himself the all-sufficient one the self-sufficient one clinging to him then you begin to look like the one who gives himself up to God first and then for others right yeah yeah and uh this is you know we are saved by the event of the cross mm. right we talked about we we have been saved we are being saved and our eternal hope is that we will be fully saved come into the fullness of salvation and what that looks like but we're saved through the event of the cross by the laying down of his life so that we would receive the grace and empowering of the spirit of God. We're saved into his way of life, mm -hmm. right? So we're saved by his life, by the giving of his life mm -hmm. so that the spirit of God can thrust us forth into his way of life. It's not an event that's isolated from his way of life. It's, it brings us right into his way of life. You know I mean? <laughs> and then I think he expounds now, Be, beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is still in darkness until now but the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him i think he just expounded on that one verse right there yeah showing that the evidence of being in is love which is the fulfillment of christ's character and nature yeah yeah yeah. And it's, yeah. And then he goes on to say, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it's interesting, this commandment, he says, I'm writing to you, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. Jesus, at least twice in the gospels, uh, the gospel of John, uh, in 1334, he mentioned something that he repeats again in 1512. So in 1334, he says, uh, a new commandment I give you to you that you love one another just as I loved you. <laughs> okay. And then again, in 1512, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this and to lay down his life for his friend. Right? So it's the command to love your neighbor is not a new command. <laughs> right? I mean, that that's an old command. That's it. Any God fearing Jew, would know that that is a command from God. What's the new command? The new command is God, Jesus brings it into the heavens. He says, I'm not asking you to love your neighbor just as yourself or your brother as yourself. I'm asking you to love your brother the way I love you. Wow. Right? This is the new commandment that you would love your brother just as I love you in the same measure with the same measure that I've appropriated my heart's intention towards you, for you, in the same way that I love you, let me be this, the, the, the standard or the, 
yeah, really like the standard, you know, the reference point for what it looks like to love. Wow. Now that is a new commandment. Mm. That, that, that is a new commandment, you know? <laughs> uh, that, is, that is a love that is beyond what this world makes possible. Mm. That requires one to run deep into the heart of God and know him for who he is. Yeah. Right. And he talks about that here in the section, you know, a, a, a faith of children, you know, babes in Christ, the faith of young men, a faith of fathers, um, that love that's being perfected on the inside of our hearts so that we can obey this new commandment because the, the deeper we go into the heart of God and encounter him as our father, Jesus, as the son, the advocate, the, the more that we recognize, like, you know, like Mary, what did Jesus say? She who was forgiven much, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. The issue there is not, and we've talked about this before, having to rack up a, a resume of sin so that we can feel like, oh, Lord, you've forgiven me from a million sins in my, you know, versus my brother who grew up in the church and lived a much more moral life than me. You've given, forgiven him of a thousand sins, whatever the case is. The issue there is, whether it's one or a million, when you encounter God in perfect light and beauty and glory through the event of the cross, and when we recognize that he put on flesh in the depths to which he went to reveal to us his heart and his desire and this beautiful word called love, we will love deeply. We will recognize what he's done. We will love deeply. And that must have an expression on the earth in a physical body. That must have a, as you pour into me, that gushes out towards my brother. Man, bro, that's incredible. She she wasn't worshiping him to get her sins forgiven. She was worshiping because they were forgiven. When she realized and came in contact with the impeccable character of the man Christ Jesus and the tenderness and mercy, it created worship in her. It's almost like Lazarus is seen laying his head on the chest of Christ after he's raised from the dead. When a man is truly been raised from the dead, he knows he was dead in his trespasses and sins, and God has made me alive. The result will be nearness to the Lord. The, the more we realize his nature and character expressed to us in what he's done for us in the gospel, the more it creates worship and the more intimacy uh, a man comes into. But the thing is, is like you're saying, a lot of people worship the Lamb, but few receive his nature so it's it's a lot easier yeah, yeah. to worship the lamb than it is to actually yield into his nature how long will we worship the lamb and neglect his nature and so yeah you, you can have an amazing celebrate can you say it's like it looks like celebrating the lamb but not really partaking right because jesus says eat my flesh drink my blood that right the, the passover how long i have desired to eat this passover with you and the only thing jesus highlights or john highlights or the gospel authors, I'm sorry, highlight is the bread and and the drink. Why? Why Passover was was that was the consummation of a lamb? He was the lamb. He doesn't even. They don't even bother to, to to reference that they ate the lamb, which is what a Passover meal would be, because Jesus speaking was them eating of the lamb. Right? I mean, it's not just what he was about to do on the cross, but his his very words. They were ingesting the lamb. It's. Uh, Celebrating the lamb without partaking of the lamb looks like uh, those that want 
salvation by the events of the cross, but refuse the fact that the event of the cross produces inside of us both the desire, the want to, and the power to now live out his way of life. That's what he goes on to say, right? He says on verse six, that whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same manner of life in which he walked. Man. To be, become like the lamb. Yeah. It's not a, you know, it's, it's, and like you said, you know, it's, there has to be some kind of a litmus test. Mm-hmm. And, and there has to be. And, and the one that he specifically chooses to hone in on here, as he does in his gospel, of course, is loving your brother, right? That's the one he chooses to like, let's, let's get down to like rudimentary foundational expression, love. Yeah. And, and this is where humility can be expressed is in relationships. And we know that love is not proud. So, you know, that love expresses itself in humility because love is not proud. So if we are humbling ourselves with each other, then the relationships can be strong and be an expression of, of oneness. As T. Austin Sparks said, the testimony of Christ is bound in our unity. It's bound up in our unity. The more love, as, as Paul says, it was he say, uh, love is the perfect bond of unity. When a man yields to the nature of the lamb, this creates one new man. It, it actually, like, it's like a... Uh, it is a synchronization one with another, but we're disynchronized or we're out of sync with each other to the degree we hold on to our own names, our own will, our own way, what we want yeah. when something doesn't measure up to what we think. And it, it causes unnecessary divisions and it's actually against Christ's desire for the church. You can have an amazing worship service with glorious presence. But if you in your personal life won't lay down your will for another, then it's as if you enjoy to worship the lamb, but yet won't let the lamb's nature in. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's painful. And the reason it's painful is because we're still alive. When I say we, I mean yeah. measures of our will. That's really what we're talking about, right? Like it's, it's measures of our will, our own will, our unsurrendered will, let's say. Yeah. Is, is still alive our own pride. I mean, in my own life, how many times have I experienced it? I mean, at a foundational level, you know, in my relationships, in my marriage, right? Like it's, I love you for who you are, but it, you know, it, it, when, when you see that you have to pay a price, okay, I have to actually change in this relationship. I have to act, I have, you know, to, to I'm not waiting for, you know, well, well if she doesn't do this and I'm not going to do this, you know, or like if, if you don't put in your 50, I'm not going to put in my 50, you know, it's, those moments feel painful because there's still measures of me that are not yet willing to surrender to the way of God, you know, to, to who he is. And, uh, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. That's, that's why I think it's called the cross, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a, a measure of death uh, in it and, and experienced in it. But the wonderful thing Rutherford likes to say is that all Christ's crosses are sugared with his sweetness. <laughs> they smell of him. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There is a wonderful uh, enjoyment that comes, a resurrection that comes after after the death thereof. So let's let's go down these last couple of verses, and then we'll we'll stop right here and we'll continue at fifteen um, next time we get together. But it says, uh, "I'm writing to you, little children, 
because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. Do you think that he says that to the, quote, little children because he wants them to realize righteousness granted to them in Jesus Christ? That this is one of the foundational things he's wanting them to have driven home in their hearts. Listen, little children, your sins are gone. For his name's sake, he's done this, cleans you. You stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as you. Very simple, get this first type of an understanding. Yeah, I think, I think it's absolutely. I think it's because of that. And I think it's also because of capacity. Hmm. You know, like it's, it's like a child, when, you know, when we have, you know, our own kids were young. And, you know, of course, as, as they're growing, they're able to intake truths in in growing measures, they have capacity for certain kinds of conversations. They grow in their capacity to understand and fully grasp certain realities about life mm-hmm. as they get older that they're not able to when they're in a certain place. So on the one hand, this is the foundational truth that must be established in their life if they're going to progress to become young men and then fathers that he talks about you know, later on. On the other hand, they're not at the place that they're even able to bear those things because as by, by, by nature being children, there's so much more self-aware <laughs> than God's ultimate desire for them when they come into the maturity of love. Right. Um, yeah. So it goes on from that to the next level. You'd say these are levels, right? Like uh, growth levels. That's how, that's what I see them like. You know, I, I see them as like I've heard you progressive. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I see them as like progressive uh, levels of faith, hmm. revelation and faith. Right. It's interesting that he jumps from children to fathers. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Why, why do you think he? He jumps from children to fathers. Why doesn't he go from children to young men to fathers? Why does he go straight to fathers? Do you know? Yeah, it's interesting because then when he, he says it again, he reiterates it again at the end of 13. He says it twice in essence, you know, children, fathers, young men. And then when he starts again, he says, I write to you children. I write to you fathers. I write to you young men. So he, he does it almost backwards. He goes children, fathers, young men, and then children, uh, fathers, uh, no, again, I'm sorry. The same exact. He keeps the same exact. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know why. I think if anything, because he highlights a similarity between children and fathers mm-hmm. in, in, in the two that he doesn't in the exact same way with young men. Mm-hmm. Both of them he mentions because you know him. Yeah. Where with the young men, he talks about the word of God. You know, you know, the word of God, you conquer. You're a conquer because of the word of God on the side of you. You're full. Mm. with the word. And so as a result, there are victories. The victories of Christ are being manifested through your life. But both of the, on the tail ends or the bookends of children and fathers is a, is a knowing of him. One knows what he's done and how that impacts me, Mm. right? For my sake. The other one talks about for God's sake, knowing him for his own sake. Wow. Wow. So two different knowledges in a sense. And then, yeah. The connection of the two is the word of God making them strong. That is just incredible words. I I love it because it just puts emphasis on hearing God in your life through the scriptures, the testimony of Jesus coming becoming real to you in your in your life. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 
overcome the evil one by that word. I've written to young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. Man, I, I pray even now that those that are watching this, that have been being consistently overcome by the evil one, that they will run into fellowship with God and hear the word of God through the word of God, through the scriptures and become strong and overcome the evil one by the word of God. May it be shield of offense and or, or a sword of offense and a shield of defense. May it, may it be the canopy under which they live. May they eat and drink of the word of God Amen. and find victory and move from being a child into the knowing of God as a, as, as a father uh, in development in their Christian lives. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I mean, in, your in, in the awareness and the consciousness huh. of the person of God, the nature of God, the will of God. And, and yet, even as, you, even as you said it, like the, the, what's holding together the knowledge of God in the life of a babe in Christ and one who is a father or mother in Christ is the word of God. Yeah. It's, it's the word of God. Jesus, the word of God made flesh, who's revealed to us the face of God and what life submitted, yielded to him, abiding in him looks like. It looks like a life expressed through love, hmm. right? It's empowered by love, a, a babe in Christ, right? A babe in Christ, right? You know him, right? What do you know about him? He, 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 he forgave your sins, right? Why? Why? Because God so loved the world because he loves you, right? While yeah. you were still dead in your sins and trespasses, you know, while we were still... Yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, oh my goodness, right? Mary, like we just talked about, the one who was forgiven much, loves much, right? It's, it's, it's that revelation of God's love that is strengthened through the, through the word of God. Our hearts are strengthened in this and then we overcome. You know, we, we talked about this many times, you know, Jesus' messages to the churches. Yeah. There is something to overcome. And in this world of lust, love prevails. In this world of darkness, light prevails. Um, and then we, as we grow and that love is being perfected in us, it doesn't take away the foundation of us recognizing that he loves us. It, that, that doesn't just dissolve. Mm -hmm. But upon that foundation that's revealed to us through the word, as we give our hearts to it and we prevail and we overcome, it it becomes increasingly more and our love for God increasingly becomes more and more. Our, let me put it this way. Our capacity to love is increased more and more where it's less about how it impacts us. And it's more about us being unaware that it's, you know, because it, it keeps flowing in. But, but we take eyes off of increasingly more the water flowing in of his love. And it just the more our love matures we just start to look to him more <laughs> and it just becomes more about pouring it back upon him, huh. loving him for his sake, the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus. God, what do you want? Yeah. Lord, what are you desiring today? Lord, what are, you, what are you saying about the nations? You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. I think Paul uses language. What does he say? That you may grasp the height, the depth, the breadth, of the love of Christ, you would, that you would know the love of God. Yeah. 
so that you may be filled with the fullness. (laughs) Like you said, it starts with a revelation of the love of God. Then that revelation just swallows you up. You just get you just get completely swallowed by it. The older, not let's let's say the more developed we become, is we're being more and more swallowed up by the love of God till it takes over the whole man, and the man is just one ball of love unto God, both receiving God's love and giving love. Uh, to God. Uh, what did Jesus say? He says, my father loves me because I always do the thing that pleases him. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and one, and one could even, you know, say that the same way as, you know, his love, of course, continues to be poured into our hearts. Uh, even as we grow from babes in Christ, it's still there. The, the difference is that we're no longer primarily conscious of God, how your love affects and impacts me. Yeah, it's now we're, we're, we're growing in you know, we're becoming strong in the revelation of who he is in his word. And now it's like, OK, Lord, yeah. you, 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 you know, it's because love is so outward because it's so transformed from within. But that goes for our relationships with our brother. Right. That goes for our relationship with our wife. The same thing, you know, you first get married and as much as we love our spouse, so much of it is what they feel inside of our own hearts, our own insecurities and and how how that impacts us and it's and it's and it's a you know beautiful thing but the the longer that we're married the more the mature our love should be getting and the more it becomes not about what you can do for me but how can i love you you know and and certainly in all of our relationships i mean love love has to be the litmus test if we really know him i agree it is a mutual exchange but it becomes more you become more and more selfless in it though even even when you are completely selfless there's still a mutual exchange sure like, like yeah, it's a covenant yeah it's a marriage right <laughs> so uh man thank you so much man for jumping on with me on this and i we'll continue 15 on uh next time uh we get together but um bro so powerful i'll just pray father thank you for the word of god make it real to us make us selfless unto you that we might experience the fullness and be filled with the fullness of your love and person, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.